Well, last Wednesday, uh, Christians all around the uh, whole earth entered into uh, the season of Lent, which is our annual 40-day time of spiritual discipline, commemorating the 40 days in which Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and as described in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and uh, today in the Gospel according to St. Luke. Uh, today, we also enter into a new season known as Daylight Savings Time, which, believe it or not, actually has something to do with Lent, because the word Lent actually comes from uh, an old English word, lengthen, so that during the season of Lent, the days do get longer, and a new springtime is just around the corner. And uh, so today, uh, we celebrate not only the early days of Lent, but also daylight savings time and the coming of a new springtime. And it reminds me that I better not preach very long because you lost an hour of sleep last night and I don't want to have to wake you up for the offering. Uh, <laughs> but I will do it. Anyway, the theme under which uh, that we're going to be worshiping here at St. Andrew during this Lent uh, is called Cultivating and Letting Go. Because as you know, springtime is a time for us to uh, start thinking about the process of gardening and cultivating the soil around our homes uh, for the planting of spring flowers or maybe the raising of some vegetables. And in just that way, uh, the season of Lent is a time for us to do a little spiritual gardening. And cultivating our relationship with God and introducing things into that relationship that uh, produce uh, growth and beauty and strength in our relationship with him and also eliminates and lets go of things that intrude or also get in the way. And so we think about that gardening, that cultivating, and I'm happy to tell you that uh, this coming Wednesday and also next Sunday, we will be very pleased to welcome Pastor Victor Belton back to St. Andrew. Uh, those of you who uh, know Pastor Belton know that uh, he is a nationally recognized Lutheran pastor, preacher, teacher. He is a former parish pastor, campus pastor, staff member at Concordia College, New York, and uh, former vice president of our entire denomination, among many other things. And, and he will be helping the cultivating to go on during the next several days. And if you missed Victor Belton the last time he was here, uh, don't miss him this time around. I can assure you uh, that you will be blessed by his ministry. Uh, but today, we begin by looking once again and revisiting those 40 days in which Jesus had, if you'll pardon the expression, a devil of a time in the wilderness being tempted by Satan and also thinking about uh, one of the most difficult, one of the most challenging aspects of cultivating a strong, healthy, God-pleasing, growing, thriving relationship with him. And that is the experience of temptation in your life. Because the extent to which we are able to overcome temptation in the wilderness of your life, whatever that wilderness represents, is the extent to which you know, marriages flourish. It's the extent to which relationships thrive and ungodly and unhealthy behaviors decrease. And before I talk about what Luke has to say specifically about that, I just want to say a few things about you know, temptation generally. And by way of review, beginning with the fact that being a Christian does not make you immune 
from the experience of temptation in your life, which I'm sure you already know by virtue of your own experience, as I do in mine. What you may not be aware of or conscious of is that being a Christian actually means that you might experience a higher level of intensity of temptation in your life, more frequent temptations in your life. Because after all, why would the devil go after somebody who already has walked away from God? And so our friend Bruce Hartung, who preaches at our uh, seminary in St. Louis, likes to welcome new students onto campus by reminding them that a seminary campus is not a refuge from temptation. That in fact, it's more often the other way around precisely because it's filled with people who want to spend their lives putting in a good word for Jesus, and the devil does not want that to happen. Also, it's interesting to see that in the Gospels, that the temptation of Jesus takes place immediately following the baptism of Jesus, which I believe are Matthew, Mark, and Luke's way of saying to us that, you know, when you're a child of God, when your life is about the kingdom of God, you know, somebody's going to challenge that. Somebody's going to go after that. The second thing I want you uh, to know about temptation that I would like to say is that when you think about temptation, or at least when I think about temptation, you know, I go straight to the really big sins. You know, like lying, cheating. Uh, illicit affairs, sexual temptations, temptations regarding uh, giving into an addiction or a, a crime or some other clearly unhealthy, ungodly behavior. But you know, if you live long enough, you will find that every generation tends to identify its high-level first-tier sins and go after them publicly when neglecting, by comparison at least, the temptation to judge our neighbor instead of loving our neighbor, as if that is not a scandal to our faith. Or the temptation to let the weekend dwell in you richly, rather than letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as if that is not a scandal to our faith. Which is to say, the temptations come in all kinds of forms, and all kinds of sizes, but all of them have the same one thing in mind, and that is to draw you away from your relationship with God, and to think that the action or the thing or the relationship that's tempting you is somehow better than peace and harmony with Jesus Christ. And the third thing I want you to know about temptation, which may be somewhat comforting to you, is that temptation is not a sin. Not in and of itself as evidenced by Hebrews 5.14, which says that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, but he did not sin. And you aren't sinning either when you experience temptation in your life. Sin happens or it doesn't happen based on our responses to the temptations that we do experience. And as I've said a number of times before, you know, the devil's primary motivation in our lives is not to get you to sin. I mean, that's a means to an end. The devil's primary motivation is to destroy your relationship with God. And the question is, are you and I going to let that happen? 
Well, that brings us to the devil of a time that Jesus had in the wilderness and to uh, a strategy, uh, a means, a method for overcoming the temptations that you and I might experience in the wilderness of our lives. Again, whatever that wilderness might represent uh, for you. And first, uh, let me say to you that when you look at the passage today from Luke chapter 4, there are actually three distinct temptations. One has to do with hunger. One has to do with worship. One has to do with power. But Jesus responds to all three of them in three distinct ways. Number one, he faces the temptation directly. He doesn't turn his back on it. He does not run away from it. He does not ignore it. Number two, he remembers his true identity as the son of God and his ultimate mission as the one who came to redeem all creation. And then number three, he relies on and draws strength from the most important relationship in his life, which is to say that he quotes the words of his own father, God, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning with those three magic words, it is written. One does not live by bread alone. It is written. You shall worship the Lord your God. Even in the third temptation, you notice that the devil tries it also, and he quotes scripture back to Jesus from Psalm 91. But Jesus one-ups the devil a third time and says, it is said, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, he says to the father of lies, not today, devil. I am not going to allow you to define me and who I am as the son of God. That's your pattern and your roadmap for responding to a devil of a time that you may have and experience in your life when you are tempted to give in, to sell out to that action, that activity, that relationship that would draw you away from God. Number one, face temptation head on. Do not ignore it. Do not turn your back on it. Do not hide from it. Do not wait until you are on the slippery slope because you're already going down. Face it directly. Number two, always remember that your truest identity in this world is that you are a child of God and that your truest purpose in this world is to give God glory through your vocation, through your relationships, and through your circumstances, whatever they happen to be, even if they take place in the wilderness of your life. And number three, and this is an important one, put yourself in advance into a relationship of accountability with the most important relationship in your whole life and draw strength from the authority and the direction and the guidance of the living God and the power of his word to guide you through the wilderness and on to, into this whole new springtime in your life. And get somebody to help you, to hold you to that accountability if you need that. And I think we all do, because when there's no accountability, that's when temptation does its best work. See, you know, the, the Jesus that we meet in the Gospels is the one who is tempted by the devil to surrender his identity as son of God. But he stands squarely on the word of his father.
You and I, at the end of the day, are tempted in whatever form to surrender our identities as the children of God. But the better we know the voice of God, the word of God, the better equipped we will be to navigate and be guided through the wilderness and on into that springtime. Also, remember, the temptation is something that often happens in the wilderness, in our weakest place. So when you build yourself up on the word of God, when you get to know God, when you thrive on the word of God, your strength can and will win the day. So that when somebody says to you, for example, hey, you know, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian, right? You say, I will praise God in the presence of the congregation. Psalm 35, 18. And when somebody says, why are you putting all that money into your church? You say, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Matthew 6, 21. Or when somebody says to you, you know, I know what you've done. You're going to have to carry that mistake. You're going to have to carry that sin all the way through the rest of your entire life. And you say, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or, or somebody says, you know, you, you're going to end up going to hell because of who you're hanging out with. And you say, oh, Romans 8, 1, you know, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or maybe some unbeliever in your life will, will come along and say, look, you know, when you're dead, you're dead. And you say, whoever lives and believes in me will never die, John 11. And for me to live is Jesus. And to die has gained Philippians chapter 1. I'm not just talking about temptation. I'm talking about heartache. I'm talking about hardship. I'm talking about all of living. I'm even talking about dying. I'm not saying we should go out there and you know, beat people over with chapters and, and verses. I'm saying that the better I know the word of God, the better I know God and the more able I will be to live my life as a child of God, to cultivate a strong, beautiful, healthy, witnessing life for his glory and my peace and my joy. Now, there is one problem with Jesus' method for overcoming temptation. And here's the problem. We ain't Jesus. And so I think there's a chance that maybe one of you here has given in to a temptation. Or two, in one form or another. I mean, you think. But here's the thing. Every once in a while, somebody will come to visit here at St. Andrew for the very first time during the week. And I will have the chance to show them around. And when I do, when we come through those doors into this sanctuary, their eyes are almost always drawn to the image above the altar. And they will look at it, and they will often say something along the lines of, wow, that's a very beautiful crucifix. And I will say something like, thanks. But actually, that is not a crucifix. That's because a crucifix is an image of the body of Christ nailed to the cross. Crucifix is a Latin word meaning fastened or fixed to a cross, a crucis. What you're looking at 
is an image of the risen Christ who died as evidenced by the marks of the wounds on the hands and on the feet. But he is now standing in front of the cross. The cross is now behind him. And so uh, this image is not a crucifix, but it does have a Latin name. And its name is Christus Victor. Christ Victorious. In artwork, sometimes it is depicted as Jesus holding the cross in his hand. Sometimes he's carrying it over his shoulder like, you know, a piece of lumber. But when you come into this house, what you see is an image of the Christ who died for you and also won the victory for you that you could never have accomplished or won on your own so that standing on his promises and in his strength, you can also say, not today, devil. I am a child of God. And that is what defines me. I am saved by grace. My sins are forgiven. And I am going to cultivate that grace all the way to a new springtime in my relationship with God. Friends, the most important thing in this world is not of this world. It is of God. And maybe you came in here today knowing that you've just come from a devil of a time in the wilderness of your life, whatever that is. And you've stood on the power and the promises of God's word and you're, you're here to thank him for that word and for its power in your life. You may be coming into here and you know that you've come from a devil of a time in the wilderness of your life and in your heart, you know you caved in. You know you gave in to temptation. I'm here to tell you that your day is about to get better. Because his food is the food of forgiveness. His water is the water of cleansing. His grace is sufficient for us. We are the children of God. And by that power and grace... Through that crust, we can navigate through the wilderness of this life, whatever it is, all the way to that new springtime, all the way to that new life. And so God bless you as we come together and we stand in the presence of the victorious Christ, crucified for us, who conquered the devil, the world, and the flesh so that we can live this new life until we meet him someday in all his glory. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Mm -hmm.